what makes a step so important? Because it begins a journey. Like the key to a car that ignites the engine, worship ignites the heart. The king uses worship to bring us on his journey. We respond to his goodness, not just through harmonies and lyrics, but with our lives. And we're not on this journey alone. We are joined by fellow worshipers who seek the same journey we do. We may grow weary. We may become tired. We may even have difficulty seeing past the storm in our way. But this is the beauty of worshiping the king together. We are able to remind one another of the truth and the goodness of the king so that we may have peace in the king. And remember that even though in this world we may have trouble, we can take heart because our king has overcome the world. This is what makes a step so important. It begins the journey. What is going on, New Vision? How are you? Listen, I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to run through a wall. Let's go. Let's go. I'm so glad that you are here. And as Brad said earlier, as we have heard, as we sang, build your church, we are talking about what it means to accelerate, to step full into what God has for us. And we're going to take these strategic steps to do that because we are going to heed the invitation from the king. And we believe some key steps into being all that God has called us to be is worshiping, connecting with each other serving one another, and as we go, telling people about the goodness of our King who has changed everything. So hopefully you are ready, and that's why we have a car on stage that's beautiful and I want to drive, but I got too many babies, so I don't need that car. But it's all good. We're going to talk about stepping in full to what it means to worship, because worship is like igniting your soul, getting it ready for what God has for us. And as I've been thinking about starting this series about the message, today, I was thinking about some good ways to kind of frame up what does worship look like. And it took me back to my childhood. I don't know if you were anything like me growing up as a kid, but I had a blankie. Any other people rocking a blankie as a child? This is a safe place. Some of y'all like I did, but no one looked. All right. It's fine. But I would take my blankie wherever I went because it gave me security. It helped me at nighttime when I was scared of something. I would just pull it close. When you think about it, it doesn't make sense if there really was a monster, this blanket's not going to do anything, but that's a whole nother point. And so I would take it with me wherever we go, to the grocery store, wherever. I would leave it in the car before I went to school. Wherever it was, it was with me because it brought me a sense of security and comfort. And I remember a day when my neighbor down the street came to our house, and I was sitting there with my blankie that was similar to this, and she looked at me and she said, hey, Nick, would you be willing to sell me your blanket? That caught my attention. I was like, mm-hmm. She's like, Nick, I am willing to sell you that if you're willing to give it to me. Now, I know my blanket was where I went to for security and comfort and all the things, but she offered me a $20 bill. Now, that was many years ago, so I brought a $50 bill because of inflation. And so... She offered it to me, and y'all, I sat there, and I thought about it, and I pondered it, because what she was doing, she was asking me to surrender what I went to for comfort, what I went to for security, and she was asking me to surrender that to her for something greater. And y'all, even though I was a kid, I was no dummy. 
I surrendered that blanket and I took that $20, y'all. And here's what's interesting, though. In order to receive this, I had to surrender this. It would have been hard for me to take hold of what she was offering me with my hands full of what I was holding on to. And the same is true for us in our lives. See, the king is offering you and I something better. And for a lot of us, we come to the king and we go, you know what? I want what you have for me. I want all that you are offering, but I'm unwilling to surrender what I'm holding on to. It is hard to receive what the king has for you with a closed-handed posture, everybody. And we know that to be true. We could talk about how true that is, but for so many of us, we are unwilling to open up our hands and let go of what we have because we are afraid that maybe what the king is offering won't be better. Let me go ahead and free you up in this space and in this place. What the king offers to us is way better than anything the world can offer us. And sometimes it doesn't seem that way. Sometimes we have had our hands so tightly clenched around things that we are unwilling to surrender them. And this is where worship comes into play. Because one of the first times worship is mentioned has to do with surrendering which none of us like that. None of us really like to surrender. None of us want to let go of what we have grown comfortable with in order to receive something else. But we're going to see in Genesis chapter 22, as we start this conversation on worship, is that worship and surrender go hand in hand. It is impossible to accurately worship, to recognize who God is, to step into the invitation he has for us without surrendering what we have and what we think is best. We have to come to the king with an open-handed posture. Why? So he can give us something that is better. In Genesis chapter 22, we're going to find Abraham. He has been given his son Isaac. Him and his wife Sarah have been praying and praying and praying, and God has given them all that they asked for and more. And yet God asks Abraham, hey, Abraham, I want you to be willing to surrender Isaac. I know he's great, but I have something even better for you. And we're going to see that Abraham is willing to trust and surrender. It says this in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. When it says that we will go and worship, it's a Hebrew word called shakah, which means to bow down. So in essence, what this is saying is Abraham is saying, me and Isaac are going to go bow down. We're going to go to the king with an open-handed posture, and I'm willing to surrender what I'm holding on to for what the king has for me. So he bows down and he surrenders. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And I love Abraham's response. Abraham answered, 
God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. What Abraham says is, I don't know how God is going to do it, but I know that God is going to provide. A lot of theologians believe that Abraham believed that God could bring his son back to life if he ended up sacrificing him. But Abraham said, hey, son, I do not know, but this is what I do know. The king is able to provide. Verse number nine. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. No, I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Notice that God stepped in right, in, right on time, right on time. It says Abraham had his knife drawn, and, but yet God said, no, Abraham, I have the provision for you. Worship is surrendering our less so that we can have more. And hear me, spoiler alert, Jesus is more than enough. I was listening to Tony Evans talk about this. I know y'all are surprised by that. But um, I was listening to him talk about this, and he said, you know, probably that ram had went up the other side of the mountain. So as Isaac and Abraham are journeying up the mountain, God's provision is going to meet them where they were at the top. Then he also says that possibly the ram was already caught in the thicket, but Abraham didn't notice the provision, but the provision was already there. And then at just the right time, God provided for Abraham a fitting sacrifice so he did not have to sacrifice his son. God was more than enough. See, Without Abraham being willing to surrender, he would have never experienced the provision of the king. I wonder for us, how many of us are holding on so tightly to you fill in the blank that we can't receive what the Lord really has for us, which is better, but you cannot taste and see that the Lord is good if you're holding on to what you consider better. You have to be willing to open up your hands and go, I surrender. Romans 12:1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I had a pastor that would say this to me all the time. The hardest part about a living sacrifice is it tends to crawl off the altar. Can I get an amen? We go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And we offer our lives and we surrender. We go, but this is uncomfortable. This is hard. I want to run back to what is familiar. I want to grab hold of that blanket again. I know what the Lord has offered me is better, but it's easier to walk in the ways that I used to walk. But we have been invited to surrender. A question you're going to have to ask yourself today and wrestle with is what is it that you're holding on to that you're unwilling to surrender to the king? 
For some of you, maybe those watching online or in Buchanan, maybe that thing is your life. Maybe you've heard that Jesus paid a price on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, making a way where there was no way, and you hear that, but yet you have been unwilling to surrender your life. Maybe it's something else. Maybe online you were able to come back and worship in the room, but you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Whatever it is, maybe, just maybe, you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what I'm holding on so tightly to that I need to surrender to you. And we're going to take a few minutes and just explore what does this look like? What does a surrendered posture look like? What does it look like for us to have this posture of an open-handed surrender posture in our lives and how we live? And so as we get ready and prepare our hearts, let's pray. Let's pray. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, thank you for the invitation you have given each and every one of us to step full into this abundant life. Lord, I know we all are guilty of hesitating. We all are guilty of having a close-handed posture. But Father, in your goodness, will you reveal to us what it looks like for us individually and corporately? What does it look like to have a surrendered posture? What does it look like to worship you day in and day out in every aspect of our lives? So, Jesus, I pray that walls will come down and hearts will be open to receive the truth that you desire to grow into fruit. And so, Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And, Father, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. We're going to be reminded in this place that worship ignites our soul. It's like a key in the ignition. It kind of gets us ready to step full into what God has for us. We're going to be in Hebrews. And if you have been around for a while, we went through Hebrews. We did a series and we had all podcasts going through Hebrews. You can go back and find that to get even more information about what I'm talking about. And also, I encourage you, too, to join us on those podcasts. They're every morning, Monday through Friday. We're going through First and Second Peter because Jesus gave Peter this invitation to be a rock in which he was going to build the church upon. And so as we are the church, it's It's good for us to go and look at Peter's life and say, all right, let's look at this invitation. What does that look like for us? So I encourage you to do so. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you're not familiar with God's word, I'm about to help you. Hebrews chapter 10 is after Hebrews 9 before Hebrews 11, right there in the middle. Y'all go and be blessed. Thank you. You're welcome. Also, let me go ahead and tell you this. If you're in here and you don't know where Hebrews is, sometimes I would just keep looking through God's word and be like, it's somewhere. Where is it? Someone has moved Hebrews. Go to the front of your Bible. Get the page number and go there. There is no shame here, everybody. You ain't got nothing to prove. Just go and find out where it is so you can read along and see what I'm saying is rooted in God's word. So Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Are you ready, church? All right, here we go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full insurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews is doing this simply. They are reminding us of the gospel. They're going, let me tell you about what Jesus has done on your behalf. Let me remind you of the gospel. The gospel is the embers that ignite the heart of worship. See, we as a people have to remember well. Why? Because we are a forgetful people. 
Sometimes we forget the price that was paid on our behalf so that we could live in freedom. And we, we don't remember freedom and we don't remember who has secured our freedom. Sometimes we are quick to run back to shackles. And so the writer of Hebrews is going, this is the gospel. And as you remember the gospel, you will be reminded of why a surrendered posture is the best posture. And what's beautiful about coming into this place and worshiping together is as you are reminded of the gospel, as you, in spite of what valleys, what storms are in your life, you are able to come and with your hands show a picture of what your heart is doing. Hey, I'm surrendered and I recognize the king is on his throne. You remind me of what is true as well. As I look out and I see the family of God worshiping, and I know some of your stories and I know the struggle that you endure, but yet... For you to be able to come and remember well this gospel that has changed everything, it reminds me and encourages me. As we were singing Build Your Church, I was reminded that this church is living and active and beautiful. We don't always get it right, but the Lord is using the bride to really reveal himself to a world. And when we come and we are able to remember well, we also get to remind others well. The gospel is the fuel for our lives. Sometimes we walk around on empty and dry, and we wonder why. And the reason is because you haven't gone to the source of life, which is the gospel. Let me go ahead and tell you this. The reason we encourage you to spend time with Jesus is not so you could check a box, and not so you could post it on social media, and not so you could just tell everybody. The reason why we encourage you to spend time with the king, because you reflect what you sit in front of. The world does not need more of us in our flesh. Can I get an amen? What the world needs is a people full of the Holy Spirit reflecting its king and living that out in our everyday lives. As we parent, as we work, as we are a friend, we are called to reflect the king. And we cannot reflect something that we are not sitting in front of. And sometimes we go, man, man, my life is not reflecting the king. My question is, are you sitting in front of him? It is hard to reflect something that you are not sitting in front of. And then we see all the warning signs in our life, and we're wondering, what is going on? And we have just forgotten what this gospel is, and we have forgotten what it means to live this full life that is the fuel given to us by the king. The gospel is the fuel for our lives. I'm going to share a story with you that I don't want to share, but I'm going to share it anyways. So a couple of weeks ago, I was driving to Shopeville. Um, <laughs> now, now, if you are from Shopeville, that's how you say it, I've learned. And I've engaged with people. I'm like, what? Did you just choke? What happened? I was driving to Shelbyville, and... Um, Going to a wedding, in my car, the gas light came on and said, hey, Nick, you probably want to get some gas here in the very near future. But I looked at how many miles I had till empty, which is cool that cars do that now. And I was like, you know what? I got plenty of miles to get there. So I got to the wedding. I did the wedding. And then I got in my car and I was headed back towards home. And my car continued to remind me, hey, Nick, I know you saw this already, but I want to remind you that in a few miles, I'm going to stop working. And me, in my head, I was like, you know what? You're probably right, but I think we're going to be fine. It's like I knew more than the gas can was telling me. And I was like, no, it's fine. I've done this before. I got eight miles. Even though my dial said, you got six, maybe. But I was driving. I was like, you know what? I'm almost there. 
I was getting near my exit, and my car said, we are empty of gas. You need to get gas now, or you walk in. And for me, I was like, I ain't walking today. We're going to be fine. Then my car did this thing that I was shocked about. It stopped working. It went, and y'all, I was surprised. I was like, what is going on? You think it could be the gas? And then, like, I don't know, I don't know. Like, I sat there, and the gas is not working, but, like, I took my foot off, like, maybe, well, this time it will work. Maybe my car changed its mind in that five seconds. No. So on I-24, right near the exit where I get off to go to Cracker Barrel and Target, my car stops. Now, here's the deal. I'm in a suit. And when you run out of gas, it's a shameful thing, amen? Like, because your car said, you about to run out of gas, dummy. And you're like, not today. And you're like, today, okay. <laughs> so I get out on I-24, and y'all, I'm in a bad mood because my car was yelling at me. It stopped working. I should have got gas. And here's the other thing. I passed like eight gas stations. I did. I did. And I knew I should have stopped. I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. So I'm doing the walk of shame, and I go cut through the woods and crack a barrel. And here's my thought. I don't want to see anybody. And I was thinking, I'm going to crack a barrel. That is like my people's spot. Like if, if our people are somewhere, they're getting some biscuits. So the, I'm like, don't look at Cracker Barrel. Just keep walking. So I walk past Cracker Barrel. I walk down the street in my suit. I feel very, very bad. And I walk into the gas station, and I tell the lady, hey, do you have any gas cans? And she smiles at me, and I'm like, don't smile at me. Don't. <laughs> I go get the gas can. I bring it back up to her. And in case you've never been here, which I hope you've never been here, maybe you listen to the warning signs in your life, like it's very overpriced. Like for a one-gallon gas can, it was almost $30. Yeah, y'all are like, for real? Yeah, because you shouldn't have to buy that, okay? You, like, so y'all go, oh, I'm appalled. But no, you, they get you. Like, what are you going to say? I'll just hold it in my, right? <laughs> so I get it, and I'm outside in my suit with no car around me, filling up this one-gallon gas tank, and cars are pulling up. And I'm like, I'm not looking at you today. Like, Lord, if this is the final appointment, I'm missing it today because I ain't got no, mm-mm. So I do, I fill it up and I'm walking with my gas can in my suit down the road and I'm cutting through the Cracker Barrel parking lot. And there is a man who's standing on the sidewalk who tries to engage with me. He could go here, he could not go here. I didn't know because I didn't want to. He goes, sir, do you need help? I'm like, I keep walking to my car. I eventually fill up, not fill up. I put a gallon in my car to get to the gas station. And y'all, I'm just like, what in the world? And here's what's interesting about this story. That's the way a lot of us live our lives. See, we know that there are warning signs that is telling us, hey, you need to have a surrender posture. Hey, you need to worship in this way. Hey, you need to be reminded of what's true. But we go, you know what? No, I got it. Can I tell you, whenever I have uttered the words, I got it, never once has it ended well. Never once. When I go, I got this, in spite of all the warning signs, in spite of all the lights flashing, in spite of all the things, I think I'm going to be okay. Everybody, let's just be honest, you are not okay. We need each other, and the gift of surrendering is just that. It's a gift. Hear me. God doesn't want something from you. He's not just going, you know what, I'm God, I need something. He don't need anything from you. God wants something for you. And he knows that to walk in freedom is the best way to walk. 
And so, so often we're like, God, why do you always want something? God's like, listen, I'm a good king. I love you. I'm for you. I have something for you. But you have to be willing to surrender the lesser things to me. And y'all, you know what I got from ignoring the warning signs and the gauges? I got to walk around in a suit feeling embarrassed. Where it could have all been avoided if I just would have heeded the warning signs and surrendered whatever I had. Maybe it was I didn't want to stop because it would take too much time. Hear me. You know it took a lot more time for me to walk to the gas station than just stopping at the gas station. The king is inviting you into surrender. And sometimes we go, but no, I don't want to surrender. It's because I know better. We don't know better. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let me read that one more time. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Worship is revealed in the mundane stretches of life as well as the corporate gatherings. Everybody, it's a both and kind of a deal. We should be worshiping the king when we come into this place and as we leave this place. We should be worshiping the king when we're at our homes, when we're with our friends, when we're with our neighbors. We should be worshiping the king because it's an act of surrender. So wherever we are in the mundane or the corporate gatherings, we should have a surrendered posture. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now that word spur it's kind of two different ways. There's spur like, you got this, you can do it. The other spur is, why are you crazy? Why are you doing that? Why are you running after lesser things? Why aren't you engaging with the king? That's another spur, but they're no less spurring each other on. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of what is true. Worship focuses our attention on the king and allows us to draw near to each other. This is beautiful. As we fix our eyes on the king together, here's what happens. We become closer to each other. Why? Because we recognize who our king is. Isn't that beautiful? Y'all don't think that's beautiful? In a world where we are everything but united, you don't think it's a beautiful thing that the king has said, hey, as you gaze upon me, as your feet follow what your eyes are fixed upon, you're going to grow closer to one another. Why does that happen? Because I feel like we start seeing each other how the king sees each other. That we go, you know what? You're not like me. You don't look like me. But man, you have worth and value and you are an image bearer of the king. So let us walk together. So you are welcome here. We will do this together. Why? Because we're fixing our eyes on the king. We're surrendering our wants. We're surrendering what we think for what the king says and what the king says is best. And you can't help but get closer together by doing that. You can't help but be reconciled together when you're fixing your eyes on the king and walking towards him. And I think sometimes we make it really complicated. Well, you know, but I don't know where they're from, and I don't, you know, I don't really get, you know what, fix your eyes on the king and say hello to somebody. Like, don't we make it complicated? Like, hey, friend, I don't know you. You don't look like me, but I don't care. Together, together we're better. Fix your eyes on the king. And as we do that, we get to live out worship in a horizontal way as well. It's not just vertical, but it's horizontal. Here are some ways that horizontal worship works and some examples of it. And I'm going to give you some verses to go back and look at. Romans 15, 7 says this, we welcome one another. So what are we surrendering? We're surrendering the judgment. We're surrendering being right. We're surrendering preconceived notions. 
We're, we're surrendering all those things, and we're just going to welcome one another. Let me just be real with y'all. Church should be the nicest place ever. Like, people should come in and be like, we are so glad that you are here. Welcome. We should be beating Chick-fil-A at friendliness. We should, I mean, whenever I leave Chick-fil-A, I feel like I'm the king. I'm like, you gave me four Chick-fil-A sauces. You even tore the straw paper and just left the top of it on there. You didn't put any ice in my sweet tea so I could just have more of it. And you said, my pleasure. I was high maintenance. I was extra. And you said it was your pleasure. Shouldn't that be kind of what defines the church? Like, shouldn't people come here and be like, listen, listen, I, you got to go to New Vision. Them people crazy. They were excited to see me when they came to the door. I didn't know where to put my babies because there's 18 halls that are going different directions. So it wouldn't help me. So then they asked me if I wanted free coffee. Praise him. Yes. We should welcome one another. Listen, and it shouldn't be contingent on anything. You converting oxygen to carbon dioxide is enough. You are welcome here. 1 Peter 14 says this, as each received a gift, use it to serve. We serve each other. We serve each other. And you might be going, why do we serve each other? Because your king did not come to be served, but to do what? So if the king was willing to serve, who do I think I am that I would be unwilling to serve? Serving is being very close to what the king is. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind. Woo! Be kind. Be nice. Why? Because your king was kind to you, and we are surrendering being mean and being right. Can I just tell you guys something? Y'all, we family, we're just going to be real because that's who we are. I think some of us forget this when we hide behind 144 characters. Oh, it got real quiet up in here. Here's what I'm saying to you. The way the king is making his appeal to a broken world, wait for it, is through his people. And we don't hang up our Christianity in the, in the closet when we are on social media. No, if anything, we should reveal the king more. So be kind. Can I tell you? You can be right, and that's swell. You won the argument, but you lost the human. Be kind. And can I remind you of something? And I don't like this truth, so you're probably not going to like this truth either. Do you know the king was kind to you when you were running from him? Do you know the king, when we said, God, you are not enough for me. King, I'm going to do this my own way. King, I'm going to chase after my own thing. You know what this king did? He pursued you and loved you in spite of you. He was kind. So we can be kind. Corinthians 13, 11 says this, comfort one another. Can I tell you this? We don't have to understand where someone is coming from to comfort them. I don't have to have the same life experiences as you to be able to get in the muck and the mire with you and say, hey, I'm here. I don't understand it all, but I'm not going to correct your feelings right now in the moment. I'm just going to sit with you and love you, and then we can talk eventually. 
we also bear with one another. Colossians 3.13. That means we forgive each other. Can I go ahead and tell y'all something? If you hang out with me long enough, I'm going to do something to bother you. Just ask my wife. I am. And the truth is, if you hang out with me long enough, you're going to do something to bother me. But can I tell you what we're going to do? I'm not going to cancel you. I'm going to give you some wisdom and some knowledge about why that offended me so that we can continue to walk together. Maybe it's time for us to go, you know what? I'm going to forgive you even before you ask for it. You might be going, why would I do that? Because that's what the king did. 1 Peter 4.9 says we show hospitality. You know what that basically means? Is we set the table so that you can meet with the king. Through everything we do, we are setting the table so that you can meet the king. Last verse and we'll be done. Hebrews 10.25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. When the spark of worship within us is joined with other sparks of worship around us, ignition happens. Let me say that again. When the spark of worship within us is joined with other sparks of worship around us, ignition happens. Again, the only way this is going to happen is if we are willing to surrender. See, so often we say, man, I want what the Lord has for me, but yet are your hands open to receive what the Lord has for you? A question that I asked you earlier on is this, what do you need to surrender in order to receive what the Lord has for you? I cannot answer that question for you. But we have this helper called the Holy Spirit that is more than willing to reveal to you what that is. Just ask. And my prayer for us is that we come to the king and we worship him through surrendering. If you will, right where you are, bow your heads. Maybe for you in this place, there's so many different things that we can surrender, so many things that the Lord is inviting us into. But maybe for you, those watching online or in this room or at Canon, maybe for you, the thing you need to surrender is your life. Maybe you've heard about Jesus and people have told you about Jesus and maybe you're in this place or watching online because someone invited you to do so. And maybe the thing that you need to surrender is your life. And you can do that right here and right now, right where you're seated. If you could say something like this to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I do not understand it all. Nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived. I say yes to the mission you were sent on from your heavenly Father God. I say yes. I say yes to the fact that you surrendered your life on the cross, paying a debt I was unable to pay because I am bankrupt and unable to pay the debt. But you paid it willingly. I say yes. I say yes to the fact that three days after you were put in a borrowed tomb, you gave it back, overcoming sin and death. And through you and you alone, I recognize that I can overcome sin and death through you. I say yes. If you said yes to the king in this place, in this space, right here and right now, on the authority of God's word, it says that you will be saved. 
Another way to think of that, you have taken your seat at the table of the king. He has given you your robe of righteousness and put the signet ring of the family on your finger, and there is nothing anybody can do about it. You are a son or daughter of the king. And I pray if that's you, that you will allow us the privilege to walk with you, to encourage you through all the methods in which we have to engage. And Jesus, maybe for some of us, it's something else that we need to surrender. May we be a surrendered people because we recognize our king has a ram in the thicket that is more than sufficient. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good king. Thank you that you love us and thank you that you offer us what is best. May we be willing to trust you and open up our hands to receive it. Jesus, we pray all these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen.